0: Well, my name is Nick, I'm one of the pastors here. I'm not as cool as Ed, but I'm really glad you're here. Those of us hadn't had a chance to meet. Now, if you have your Bibles, open up to John chapter 15. We're going to hang out there today. And I'm, I'm originally from Indiana. Y'all know where that is, right? It's not in Canada, it's just South Michigan, right? If you know anything about Indiana, then here's what this means. It means that naturally I'm sort of into basketball. How many of you have seen the movie Hoosiers? The Hickory Huskers, right? That's like Indiana's claim to fame, that and Larry Bird and both of them have to do with basketball, right? So being from Indiana, it's, it is true. We are, we are into our basketball. Now, whether or not I'm good at it, that's a whole other conversation because see, I happen to be built exactly like a meatball. I have like these little Tyrannosaurus Rex arms, right? So I'm not necessarily great at basketball, but I do love it. Particularly, I really get into basketball during the NBA Finals. I, I don't watch much of the regular season, but when the finals are on, I'm glued to it. And how many of you happen to watch this past year's NBA finals, this last June, between the Cavaliers and the Warriors? Wasn't that incredible? I mean, that may have been the best finals series of all time. Unreal. I mean, what LeBron James did cemented his legacy as one of the greats of all time. And people have all sorts of different opinions about LeBron James. I was living in Ohio when he made the infamous decision Remember that two-hour TV special about what one guy was, give me a break, right? I was in Ohio when that happened. He left Cleveland and he went to Miami. People in Ohio were up, they were burning jerseys in the streets. It was crazy, ludicrous, right? People have different opinions about LeBron, but we got to admit, that dude can play. Can I get an amen? I mean, seriously, from the time he was in high school, when people watched LeBron James play basketball, they knew they were witnessing greatness. I mean, seriously, check, check out. Some, we got some clips, just some highlights from some of the things he did this past year. Look, look at what this guy can do with the basketball. It's, it's unreal. I do that on my son sometimes in the basement, right? Just, He's six foot eight. Six foot eight. He's nearly a foot taller than me. It's not saying much. Six foot eight. He weighs like 260 pounds. They've clocked him at running almost 20 miles an hour, and he's got a 44-inch vertical. Here's what that means. Don't get in his way. It should be illegal for somebody that big to be able to do those kind of things. Don't you agree? It's just not fair. Not fair. Here's, Here's why I bring this up. This is crazy. A friend of mine is actually a pharmacist down in Miami, right? Tough gig, right? And he happens to be probably the biggest LeBron James fan on the planet. So when LeBron left Ohio, left Cleveland, went down to Miami, he was was all about that, right? He has a LeBron James jersey. He's got the shoes. He's got the bobblehead doll in his car, right? He's that guy. And he had a membership to this really exclusive gym in Miami. He told me one one offseason, he was in there playing some basketball, in walks LeBron James with a few other basketball players from the Miami Heat, they were there for just a little pickup game during the offseason. My friend's jaw hit the floor. Right? He, just, he just sat there and stared at him. And I think LeBron noticed this, this weirdo over here just sort of Googling at him. And so he walked over and he asked him, said, hey, we actually still need one more for our game. you want to be on my team? My friend said he was speechless. Like he couldn't even get his mouth to work. He just sat there and just stared at him. What would you do? Right? What would you do? Well, eventually, here's, here's the craziest part. You know what my friend told LeBron? Because we're on a first-name basis now, right? You know what he told him? He told him no. Yeah, I mean, he, he said he was so nervous, I mean, even, even terrified, about the thought of actually playing with this person he had idolized for so long that he told him no. And it's worse than that. This is the excuse he made up. He told him that he could not play basketball with him because he had to go home and let his dog out. I mean, could you imagine what LeBron James was thinking? I mean, keep in mind, he's wearing his jersey. <laughs> you're telling me, you're wearing my jersey. You will not play basketball with me because you have to go home and let your dog out? It's ridiculous, isn't it? Ridiculous. Two things you need to know about this story. First one is, it never happened. I actually made the whole thing up. It's pretty impressive, right? It's pretty good. Second thing you know about this story is, it happens all the time. See, there's a big difference between being a fan and actually playing the game. Especially as it relates to following Jesus. I mean, it's easy to sit in the stands. It's easy to buy the t-shirts, to cheer. But that's not what Jesus invites us into. See, Jesus actually invites you and I to get in the game. To do what he does. To be all in. That's exactly what this series is about. You know, we are in the midst of some unbelievable growth. You're aware of that, right? I mean, we are growing at a phenomenal rate. In fact, over the last two weekends, we have had over 600 more people here on the weekends than we did a year ago. 600 people in a year. I mean, yeah, sure, clap for that. That's incredible. That's exciting. But but hopefully you hear me. I don't want us to just grow. I want us to grow faithfully. So in the midst of all of this growth, we've gotten really serious because the last thing this area needs is just another big church. What this area needs is a movement of disciples. I mean, people who have taken this call to not only believe in Jesus, but to follow him as well. Who have taken that very seriously. Because if things are going to change, that's what it's going to require. People to get out of the stands and actually start playing a game. To be be all in. And so we've been asking ourselves some questions and what what do we believe about being a disciple? And that's, that's exactly what this series is about. We are sharing with you our vision for what we believe it means to be a disciple here at Mount Horeb. This is a pivotal series for us as a church. And it's my hope that the things we talk about, the words you hear, the phrases you hear, the language that comes out of this series, it won't just stay here, but it'll go with us. And we'll keep talking about it. We'll keep it in front of us because this is what we're about. But it all begins with the definition of a disciple that Pastor Jeff shared with us last week. We believe that a disciple is a student. Everybody say student. Disciple literally means student or learner. It's what it means. It's a student of Jesus who is learning from him how to live their whole lives under the rule and the reign of God. Now, that whole life part is really important because it's not just a part of our lives, it's not just the hour and, and some change on Sunday morning before we go to lunch. That's asked of us. It's our whole life. Our whole life. And we understand our whole life to really be made up of these four large components. Our whole life consists of who we are, how we live, who we're with, and what we do. Who we are. It's our identity. I mean, if you have said yes to the saving love of God, and here's what that means. It means your identity is now found In Jesus Christ. Scripture says it like this We are in Christ, which means that Jesus has the last word and the final say about what's true about us and about who we are. That he is our Savior and our Lord. And so a disciple is somebody who has a growing understanding and confidence about their new identity in Jesus Christ. This is what worship is all about. You come here in order to orient yourself around what's actually true. Who God is, what's important, what God is calling us to. This naturally flows in then to how we live, which is all about making the truth of the gospel a reality in our lives through the practice of rhythms and disciplines. We're saved by grace. Hear me that. We're saved by grace. It's a gift, but that grace is meant to be put to work in our lives. And we do that through the regular practice of these disciplines. We take the truth of what God has done and make it real so we are forgiven. Now let's live like forgiven people. Are you with me? This also has everything to do with who, who we're with. Bottom line is, man, life is too hard to do alone. I better get an amen on that. And we are better together. And the full life of God is not something that meets us in isolation, but it's something that actually meets us in a real way as we move closer to one another, which is why we are so committed to moving people in to intentional Christ-centered small group communities. I man. if you spend five minutes around me and you're not in a small group, I'm gonna ask you to get into one. I'm gonna tell you to get into one. I'm gonna encourage you to get into one because I believe it will change your life. It will change everything. I mean, I, I am here today because of what happened. My parents, we grew up funky family, whatever, you know what that means. We got our dysfunction. There was a season though when things were healthy. You know what it was? My parents were in a small group. The Sabatinos, we'd go to their house every week. Kids would go down in the basement. We'd have fun and play together. The parents would meet upstairs. I remember that season in my family's life, and it was good. It was good. My parents' marriage was healthy. My parents were healthy. We were healthy as a family. I am 100% committed to this because I know what it can do, not only for you, but for our community. If you're not in a small group, one Life is starting. It's our small group launch class. Six weeks long. Starts Wednesday, September 7th. Here on Wednesday nights. You can pick up more information. They've got these adult class guides. They look like this. They're out at the Welcome Center. Grab one on your way out. All sorts of information in here about how you can get involved, get plugged in. Advertisement is over. This also has everything to do with, with what, what you and I do. So it's who we are. It's how we live. It's who we're with. And finally, it's, it's what we do. And here's what this means this means serving the church and changing the world out of our own unique giftedness and call. If you sign up to follow Jesus, then you've simultaneously signed up to make this world a better place. And whatever happens in here, if we're being faithful, if we are all in, whatever's happening in here better be spilling out, impacting the world out there. If not, we're not being the church. And here's what I know is that nobody's life is, is so simple that you can divide it up into the four nice, neat categories. I get that, but here's also what I know is that if we are helping people grow in those four areas, then we can be confident in the fact that we're making some disciples, which is the business of the church. It's to make and encourage disciples. And if we ever, if we ever stop being about that, then please, somebody close our doors. And so we're taking some time throughout the series to examine these four areas this weekend we're going to zero in on how we live, which again is about taking the truth of the gospel, making it real in our lives through, the practice, through regular practice of rhythms and disciplines. Because the bottom line is this, discipleship, being all in, following Jesus, it's not so much about life lived for God as it is about life lived with God. I mean, what Jesus calls us into, what he has made available to us, isn't something that we can experience on our own. But it requires you and I to ground ourselves, to plug into, to abide in the ultimate source of life. God Himself. That's where we're headed this morning. But first, a word of prayer. God, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for this time, this space. Thank you for the people that you brought here. I thank you for what you're doing in our midst. Lord, we ask that we can be faithful to that. Lord, right now, in this moment, rescue us from just going through the motions. Those of us who are too comfortable, who are complacent, Lord, mess us up. Wake us up. Point us to the things that matter. For those of us who are discouraged, who are frustrated, Lord, I pray that uh, you speak a fresh new word into us. Give us life. Lift us up. In the midst of all of this, I pray that you are glorified. That your kingdom is grown. And that we come to know you in a unique way. It's in Jesus' name we all pray. Amen. You' out there, by the way, you wake. Because nobody's sitting right here in these first couple of rows, and that's all I can see. So make some noise for crying out loud. We're in, we're in John 15, right? John 15. This passage that we're going to take a look at is it's a part of what is commonly known as the upper room discourse. Basically what that means. This is, this is Jesus' final teaching in the Gospel of John just before he is arrested and eventually crucified. So things are about to get crazy. And this whole teaching, it has this very intimate, very candid feel to it. It's sort of like I remember being in college towards the end of the semester when, when like the professor would, would put down her notes and take off her glasses and kind of step around the desk and say, you know, we've talked about a lot this semester. I've given you a lot of information. But, but when it comes down to it, here's what you got to know. I mean, here's why this matters. This is, this is sort of like what Jesus is doing with his disciples here. All throughout this teaching, he's like, listen, we've spent a lot of time together. You've seen a lot of crazy things. I've taught you a lot of important things, and things are about to get a little nuts. But when it's all said and done, here's what I want you to know. Here's what I want you to remember, what I want you to hold on to. And one of the things that becomes clear is, you, as you read through this teaching, it's, and it's beautiful, it's a beautiful chunk of scripture, but one of the things that becomes very clear is that Jesus lived his life from the inside out. He lived his life from the inside out. Go back to chapter 15. It was towards the end of the passage that we had read to us a bit earlier. But verse nine, Jesus says this. He says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. So as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Jesus lives his life from the inside out. See, see his, his public life, the way he interacted with other people, what he did out here, it was intimately connected to, this, to his private life, to this life that he received from God. They weren't two separate things. They were interconnected. They spilled over in, into one another. And this is one of the things that John The author of this gospel, he he lets us into over and over again throughout this gospel. He kind of peels back the curtain and lets us see this sort of beautiful connection that exists between Jesus, the son and God, the father. And so there's language like this all over the place. I mean, for instance, chapter five, verse 19. Jesus says, very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he does. And so everything Jesus did, every word that he spoke, the way he interacted with other people, how he saw the world, what he believed was possible. It was an overflow of this inner life that he had, this this life that was saturated by the love of God. I mean, deep down the core of who Jesus was, he knew, he knew more than anything else. This is the truest thing he knew. God was with him. God loved him. And it was enough. What's incredible is is to take a look throughout the Gospels, all of the ways this actually shows up then and how Jesus lived and what he did. I don't care who you are, whether you're here because, you know, somebody dragged you here or because you've come your whole life or whatever it is. Man, if you look at how Jesus lived, it's beautiful. I mean, people ask me all the time. Why why did you sign up to follow Jesus? I could give you all sorts of reasons at this point. At the same time, I got a lot of questions. I do. But here's the one thing I know. It's the best way to live. Man, you look at how Jesus lived, how he treated other people, what what he gave himself to. I'm like, man, it's it's beautiful. But it was a result of this inner life that he had that was saturated by the love of God. I mean, for instance, Matthew chapter 5, he says this to us. He says, I want you to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That sounds easy. How many of y'all got an enemy? I want you to think about him right now. Don't think about him too hard. Or your eyes will get stuck in the back of your head. Uh, right? We've got people who are hard for us to love. At the same time, there are those of us who've got some people who have done some really horrible things to us. Or people that we love. How in the world are you supposed to love somebody like that? Unless, unless your inner life is completely consumed with God's love for you. You can't imagine to do something like that unless you yourself have been consumed by God's grace, love, and acceptance for you. You can't do it. Or he tells us later Matthew chapter six, next chapter over, he says, I don't want you to worry about your life to which we all give like a nervous laugh to, (laughs) right? Give me a break. But Jesus wouldn't call you and I to do something that he wasn't doing himself so this life that he lived that was free of things like worry and anxiety, wouldn't that be nice? And it was grounded in the fact that he was convinced that God was good. God was generous. And when you believe that deep down in the core of your being, when your inner life is saturated with that sort of thing, when you know that God is like that, what is there really to worry about then? Do you see how this works? Maybe, maybe here, here's one of the more powerful examples. Man, I would love to know this. A few chapters earlier in, in John chapter 6 you know, Jesus believe it or not he had a lot of people following him for a while they, they saw the things that he did they listened to his words man this guy's on to something and then in chapter 6 he begins to give some difficult teachings things that were hard for people to embrace and accept and guess what everybody but the 12 left they deserted him they, they left him and it's clear when you read through this passage this chapter he's hurt by it but you know what it doesn't derail him He keeps going. Could you imagine that? To live, to be that free? Man, Jesus was so consumed with God's love for him that you know what? Other people's opinions about him, it didn't overly influence him. Like, unlike many of us, man, he, he lived life free of this weird sort of impulse to try and prove ourselves. Which how much of our energy in life goes into that? Prove ourselves to other people. Every time I get up here, I want you to like me. Think about what I'm going to wear. Try to think of jokes. If you don't laugh at them, I feel really bad about myself. So laugh. I'm just kidding. But seriously, think back over how much of your life, how much of the energy, the resources in your life is actually just about trying to keep up with other people or to win over their opinions. Guess what? Jesus was free from all of that. Wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't that be something? Here's the good news. Jesus wants that very thing for you and I. He wants us to share that inner life. Go back to chapter 15. Chapter 15, verse 4, Jesus says this, Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. What's the word to keep showing up over and over and over again? It's this word remain. The word can also mean abide or to dwell. It's, It's to make your home in. What Jesus wants is for us to make our home in him, to dwell in him, for that to be the place from which we get our life. It's quite essentially what Jesus wants more than anything here in John is for you and I to share his inner life. For our inner life to be consumed, our private life to be consumed by the love of God. In fact, this is the primary role of the Holy Spirit. Y'all say Holy Spirit, by the way. Say it. Holy Spirit. They probably don't talk about the Holy Spirit enough in church, but the primary role of the Spirit, Jesus talks about it a lot in, in the Gospel of John, the primary role of the Holy Spirit is to actually bring us in to this union that exists between Jesus the Son and God the Father. We actually get to come into that through the power of the Holy Spirit. I mean, the Spirit actually gives you and I Jesus' inner life. Deep down in the core, that's the role of the Spirit. I mean, who wouldn't want that? Right? To be so connected to God, to be free from all of those things. So I guess the question is, if that's what Jesus has, that's what Jesus wants, then how do we go about getting it, Right? Now, how, do we, how do we receive this? How do we abide? How do we dwell? Well, let's keep taking our cues from Jesus. How about that? It'd be easy for you and I to think that because he was God with skin on, this was sort of natural and innate for Jesus. Well, of course, Jesus lived that way, right? He's God with skin on. Not so fast. Because the scriptures tell us in Hebrews chapter 5, Jesus had to learn obedience. He had to learn obedience. I mean, this this inner life, this private life that was saturated with love of God, it wasn't just there, it didn't just happen, but it was the result of these rhythms, these practices, these disciplines that Jesus used to orient his life, to direct his life. I mean, for instance, from an early age, we see that Jesus was a student of the Word. In fact, Luke chapter 2, he's at the temple and he's blowing away the scholars. This 12 year old kid knows more about the Word than they do, he knew the Scriptures. When's the last time you read the Bible? I'm just going to ask that question. Personally, you. Because oftentimes, people in this part of the world, Christians in this part of the world, man, we love to defend the Bible. We'll argue with anybody about it, but I wonder, are we reading it? I mean, if we poured half the amount of passion into arguing for the Bible as we did in actually reading the Bible, I think things would look a little different. Are you with me? I mean Jesus it was crazy. Right after the dude's he's baptized, Jesus gets baptized, right? Right after that, he spends almost a month and a half in prayer and fasting in preparation for what God was gonna do. A month and a half. I can't even go 12 hours. A month and a half in preparing himself for what God was about to do. And we often read about him in the gospels. He would withdraw to a lonely place, spend an entire night in prayer in order to prepare himself, to fill himself up, to be able to serve other people and lead the disciples. This was not innate for Jesus. This beautiful life that we see, that we admire, that we even long for, was the result of how we lived. Jesus had a rhythm. He had practices, he had disciplines. Do you have that? Or is your life just a bunch of noise? You're just bouncing around reacting from one thing to another. How intentional is it? Because listen, if Jesus, the Son of God, had to practice these disciplines and find this rhythm in order to experience this, to live this sort of way, who are we to think that we don't? And I would say one of the biggest reasons, perhaps, why so many of us, man, this this life, this full life of God, all this stuff, it sounds great, but the honest truth is it's a foreign concept. Like, I wonder how many people have come to church almost every single week for their entire life, but nothing's really changed. If this is all that there is for you, that makes perfect sense. I just wonder, how much time, how much space are we carving out to actually point ourselves to the things that matter? I can't tell you how many times I pull up the next, next to somebody at a red light and guess what they're doing. Mindlessly looking at stuff on their phone probably, right? I think this is probably one of the main, main reasons why I think we struggle with this is because we get so consumed with things that don't really matter. Kind of moment of honesty right now, moment of confession. Here's my number one job is to let this eat my lunch all week, and then I share it with you, okay? So don't, don't, don't worry, it's been, it's been a miserable week. Um, fantasy football season is upon us. Fellas, where are you at? You can clap for that. Come on now, I'm not gonna call you out. I'm excited. Last year was my first year doing fantasy football, and this year I'm like in five leagues now, right? I'm just kidding. I'm doing two. Um, and I'm gonna totally dominate. But I got really excited this year, right? And you got to understand, I got three kids under the age of four. So I'm just going to tell you, I don't sleep. We don't sleep very well at our house. In fact, most of the time, my right eye is twitching because I'm sleepy, okay? Now, if I'm going to get any time with Jesus, if I'm going to have this rhythm, this discipline, guess guess when it's going to happen? In the morning. That's the only time I'm going to be able to do it because once everybody wakes up, it's chaos. Feeding people, getting them where they need to go, whatever it is. So I've got to get up early in order to do that. In the last couple of weeks, In preparation, the the, the NFL fantasy football draft's coming up, right? Just happened the other day. I got another one tomorrow night. (laughs) Last two weeks, I've gotten up early. I did it. I went and sat down on my dining room table. I've got my the things I'm reading. I got my journal sitting right here, but I also got my phone over here. Guess what I start doing in the morning? Instead of doing this, what do I read instead? Fantasy football draft. I, advice. Top 300 players, who do I need to get first? I'm like, I'll just read one article. An hour and a half later, guess what I'm still reading? And then is it any wonder all throughout the day, guess what I'm thinking about? That. Do you see how our hearts work? Man, you point your soul at this kind of stuff on a, a, over and over again, and guess what? It becomes your passion. Now, there's nothing wrong with fantasy football. Like you said, I'm really looking forward to this year, and am, I'm going to dominate. But when, when, when the sum of your life, when your passion becomes about that kind of stuff, that's a really boring life. And I just wonder, man, what, what would happen if we poured just half the amount of energy and passion into things like our favorite reality TV shows or whatever it is? If we were to just take some of that and direct it towards the things that matter, how much different would life be? Are you with me? That's the role I think these rhythms and disciplines play in our lives. They point us they point our souls at the things that matter. A friend of mine was just telling me this past week about how this has impacted and shaped his life. He said he, he had a real dysfunctional relationship with his dad. Anybody else in the room relate to that? Real volatile. Right? And, and this, several years ago, they got into all this sort of came to the surface. They got in this huge fight. Really ugly fight. Didn't get physical, but it was, it was ugly. It's one of those things you just want to forget about. And people, they said things to each other that a father and son probably should never say. Now, after that happened, it was one of, one of those things that they didn't ever really resolve it. They just kind of act like it didn't happen, right? And so after a little while, everybody was just going back to their, own, you know, their normal ways. But he said that after that incident, he decided to make some serious changes in his life. One of those changes was he was gonna get serious about developing some rhythms and some practices and disciplines. And so he did that for a while. About a year later, He said, he and his father got in another fight. And he said, it was the craziest thing. He said, Nick, I was standing in the same room. I was looking at the same man, and we were arguing about the same issues. But it was a totally different experience. He said, where where the last time, whenever my dad would get loud, I would just get louder. Or my dad would get angry, I would just get even more angry. But this time, it was like I had this sort of control over myself. And it's the weirdest thing, he said, somehow I was able to look through my father, see past all my frustrations, and the most dominating emotion, this is crazy, he said he felt wasn't anger but compassion. What? He said, the only thing that was different was the fact that I had gotten more serious about some of these rhythms, these practices, these disciplines. The, the love of God for me was more of a reality in my life than it had been a year ago. Do you see why this matters? I mean, some of you, you're... Right now, there's some sort of change you want to make in your life. You can't make it on your own. What's Jesus say? Apart from me, you can do nothing. And for some of us, we're we're up against some sort of challenge right now. Guess what? You can't meet it by yourself. At the same time, I believe that there's things that God wants to do in all of us that we are completely oblivious to right now. And unless we are abiding, we are dwelling, we are making our home in Jesus, we're never going to get it that's why for thousands of years followers of Jesus have been using certain disciplines and practices to rhythm their life and there's no such thing as an exhaustive list of disciplines and I couldn't stand up here and teach you about all of them it would take forever what I wanted to do is maybe just share a few of them that have meant the world to me these are some of the ones that I do on a pretty regular basis or at least try to At the same time, I put some things in your bulletin as a recommended reading. If you want to explore more about the disciplines, you're just getting started. This is a great place to start. It's called The Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster. We actually have copies of this out on the Welcome Center. If you want to pick one up, start there. But for me, man, Scripture is super important. i got to read the Word. And I grew up being in youth group and going to church. And for me, the Bible always felt like this thing I had to read in order to make God happy with me, right? It's way different than that. I don't know if you can relate, but I have all these voices in my head. You got voices too? (laughs) All these voices trying to tell me what's true, what's important, who I am. So for me, the scripture is about where I go to tune into the voice of God. What is actually true? What is God like? What's important? I mean, another one, of course, I mean, these these are all basic, but prayer. Prayer is a huge one for me, especially now that I'm a parent. Parents, where are you at? Man, it's like when you look at this, this person it's like, a, it's like a part of you outside of your body. Am I right? It's one of the craziest things to look at your child for the first time and then keep looking at them. It's like literally you feel like a part of you is somehow outside of yourself. You know, and, and you start feeling this. I felt this fear. I'll never forget the first time I felt it. There's a whole lot that can happen to my kids who I love that I can do nothing about. You familiar with that fear? What I've learned about prayer, though, is if it does anything, it puts me in a posture of dependence upon God. And I found it's a pretty healthy place to be. And I believe prayer can change things. It can change things. It's like ma- maybe some of you are and your marriage is falling apart. I mean, it's falling apart. There's probably going to be a whole lot of things that you need to do. But I'll tell you one thing you've got to do. Start praying. Pray. Don't dismiss it before you give it a shot. Pray. Another one that's, that's really dear to me is, is Journaling. This is something I started a little over 10 years ago. And here's one of the things I love about Jesus is he could teach us from like these everyday experiences. That's, that's where he taught from, these things that he noticed. And so journaling is my way of like tapping into that. It, it forces me to pay attention to my life because the question I always ask myself is, what, what am I learning? I believe that there are opportunities to learn something happening every single day. Journaling opens my eyes to them. And what's really cool is then go back a year or two later and read over it. And you you remember things. This is really, again, now that I'm a parent, man, how fast does it go with your kids? Things change. And the prophet Bob Dylan, you know know Bob, right? He said this. He said, take care of your memories for you cannot relive them. It's so true. Because you go back and you read through these journals from five, six, seven years ago, and you're reminded of things you forgot about. I'm grateful for it. Last one, and I'll, I'll move on. But it's, it's this practice of a Sabbath. And my wife and I were just talking about this the other day. And, and Sabbath, of course, is taking some time to unplug, right, and to actually plug into what matters most. That's what Sabbath is about. It's not just about checking out, not doing anything. When God rested on the seventh day, it wasn't because he was tired. It was, it was to actually enjoy what had been created. And what I've found is that if I can take a day and really get serious about doing that, then, then it shows up all throughout my week as well. Something that's wrong with our culture is we cannot just do one thing. You notice that? It's like we got to constantly be doing several things at once. The other day, I kid you not, I caught myself feeding my 10-month-old daughter while reading emails on my phone, also reading a book in preparation for this sermon, and help trying to fix the kid's food on the stove. At the same time, all the while my 10-month-old daughter's making all these really cute faces at me. She's got this gap in her teeth right now. It's super cute. She smiles at you. and I was missing it. remember having this thought of like, why can't you just do this? Just be here. Does that make sense? That's what Sabbath is about. And if I get really good at practicing it one day a week, guess what? It shows up throughout the week. Pay attention. Stop. Rest. Notice this. It's a really beautiful way to live. Wouldn't you agree? If we could get into the habit of doing this. So what does this look like for you? How much space, how much time are you carving out to meet with God, to point your souls at the things that matter? Last thought, I promise, I'll leave you with this. The craziest thing about all of this, though, to me, though, is this, is that Jesus thinks it's possible. I mean, Jesus believes that you and I can live a really beautiful life. In fact, in chapter 15, he makes us a promise. Here's the promise, if you abide in me, if you abide in me you will bear much fruit. Jesus thinks this is possible. This is so important. because I would say may, maybe one of the biggest reasons why so many of us we struggle to experience the reality of our salvation, the truth of all of this. It isn't because we don't have a big enough picture of God, but I believe it's because we don't have a big enough picture of who God believes we can be and what's possible in our own lives. It reminds me of what John says later in one of his letters. 1 John chapter 3, he says this, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him to which everybody should go whoa man when you said yes to jesus the same power that raised him from the dead the holy spirit began to work in you and god's got one goal in mind that's to mold you and shape you into the likeness of jesus christ that's what god's after and for many of us that's hard to believe and what john is saying is listen god is up to you it's up to something in you He's doing something in you. You don't always understand it. It doesn't always make sense. It's not clear, but trust that it's happening. God is moving you forward. It reminds me of when I went and got my tattoo. This is a tattoo, by the way. It's not a birthmark. Ooh, tattoo, right? This is a piece. It's not finished yet. Still got a whole lot of work to do on it. And I, I spent years thinking about what I wanted this to be and what I wanted it to look like. And, and, and I researched the best artists. I was living in Ohio. I wanted to know who to go to. And everybody kept telling me, go to this guy named Matt. Matt is phenomenal, and so I started researching some of his work. And here's some of his pieces. I'm just going to show you some of these. This guy's phenomenal artist. Look at that. that's a dog, in case you didn't know. This is incredible. Hold this one up for a second. It's actually a watercolor tattoo. It was like a watercolor painting. And then this is one of my favorites. You'll probably love this. It's incredible work, isn't it? I mean, say what you want. I don't know how all of us probably feel differently about tattoos, but you got to admit that guy's an artist, right? That's incredible work. And so I went to Matt. We sat down. I, I explained to him what I wanted. He put together a piece. I thought it looked really great. And then it was time for him to start working on my arm. I spent 12 hours with him the first session. That's a whole lot of time. But I'll never forget when he started. Because he, he just started drawing lines all over my arm. And I'll be honest, it didn't make a whole lot of sense. You, you ever watched an artist work? You watch them draw or whatever, and you're like, you don't really understand what they're doing, but to them it makes perfect sense. But you're like, it looks like a mess. And I'm watching him do this on my arm. The whole time I'm thinking, you, you really know what you're doing here? You realize this is permanent, right? So I start badgering him with the questions. And you can tell I'm nervous. But then at one point in the night, here, here's a thought I had. You don't really understand what he's doing. And right, right now, it, does, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But you know what, Nick? You know the artist. And you've seen his work. So you can trust that when he's finished, it's going to be incredible. Here's my word to some of you all this morning. Maybe you're living with some profound sense of frustration. There's something in your life that won't change. If you've said yes to Jesus, here's what I want to say to you. You know the artist, you've seen the work. Even though it doesn't always make sense, you can trust that when he's done with you, it's going to be incredible. Our job is just to live into that, it's to trust. It's to abide, it's to dwell. You all pray with me? Jesus, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for, for working in us, for being involved. want well, I pray for everybody in this room right now, I pray that you give us the wisdom to know how we need to respond to this. What's it look like to do that next right thing in regards to how we live? to finding a rhythm to living on purpose with intentionality. I pray for people in this room who have given up, who have quit. Remind them that in you all things are possible. Pray for people who feel like they're up against something bigger than them. Teach them how to abide, how to dwell in you. Pray for folks who who are wanting to make some changes right now. Remind them they can't do it by themselves. They're going to need your help. And Lord, as we come before you to worship one last time, I pray that we can all take this moment seriously, that we can actually worship you, give you what you deserve. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.